Thank you all for being here. Uh, my name is uh, Thad Williamson. I'm Associate Professor of Leadership Studies here at the University of Richmond. And on behalf of uh, Dean Sandra Peart and the uh, entire faculty at the Jefferson School of Leadership Studies, it's my pleasure to welcome you this afternoon to the first event of this year's Jefferson Forum featuring uh, Peter Edelman of, of Georgetown. Uh, each year, the Jefferson Forum Speaker Series focuses on an important theme relevant to leadership and society. This year, the Jefferson faculty agreed that our focus should be on the condition and future prospects of democratic government and democratic society, focusing principally on the United States. Hence, our forum theme, Does Democracy Work? Question mark. My colleague, Professor Allison Archer, and I, with support from Dean Peart and the staff at the Jefferson School, worked to assemble a roster of speakers who could shed light on important dimensions of this topic, looking deeply at our present moment, but also back in history and forward into the future. This focus is fitting because democracy in practice in the United States and elsewhere is widely viewed as being in crisis. We need look no further than this week's disturbing attempts to assassinate prominent public figures, including a former president and vice president, to understand this is the case. A comprehensive Pew uh, survey earlier this spring of Americans' attitudes towards democracy found continued strong support for democratic ideals, but also deep dissatisfaction with the current state of democratic politics in the United States. Strong majority of stated they do not have a favorable view of the federal government, they do not trust the judgment of their fellow citizens, and the structural changes in the political system are needed. In a recent editorial for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Professor Archer and I characterized concerns about democracy as falling into four principal categories. Concerns about inclusivity, who is allowed to actually participate and have influence in the process. Concerns about representation, the degree to which the views and interests of all citizens are effectively heard, and the degree to which public policies actually reflect the views and interests of the majority of citizens as opposed to elites. Concerns about accountability and civic culture the degree to which citizens are able to hold leaders accountable, and the degree to which our civic culture reflects healthy debate. And finally, concerns about the democratic governments to actually solve problems, to actually deliver the goods. So these are daunting uh, challenges beyond the scope of any single political figure or scholar to address, but we must at least face these questions squarely if we're to have any hope of finding meaningful ways forward as a society. So the speakers in this series begin with Professor Edelman, will help us do so. So on behalf of the Jefferson School, I'd like to thank our co-sponsors in Jefferson Forum, Nations Bank, and Style Weekly. I'd also like to acknowledge our staff members, uh, Shannon Best, who planned logistics for this, and Elizabeth debusk Vazlanka, who coordinated publicity and is responsible for this great turnout. I especially want to thank her because tomorrow is her last day with the University of Richmond, and so give her a hand because... <laughs> Um, and she will be starting her new job in the President's Office at William & Mary on Monday. So as the focus of the Jefferson School is engaging undergraduate students and learning for and about leadership, it is our practice at the Jefferson Forum for a student to make the formal introduction of, of each speaker. So it's my pleasure this afternoon to welcome uh, Aaron Diolio, who will introduce this afternoon's speaker. Aaron is a, first of all, Aaron's a great guy. We all know that. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's a junior Jefferson School of Leadership Studies student. He's also double minoring in Latin American, Iberian Studies, and American Studies. He's a native of Trent, New Jersey. He's a Bonner Scholar at the university, and he is the manager of the Richmond Spiders Division I men's basketball team. 
He's a new student orientation advisor and member of the Jefferson Corps. He also serves as a mentor and tutor at CHAT, that is Churchill Activities and Tutoring in, in the east end of the city of Richmond. Upon graduation, Aaron plans to pursue a fellowship to work with low-income youth and on ways to bridge, bridge the education equity gap in hopes eventually to obtain a PhD in education. So please help me welcome Aaron Diolio. Thank you, Dr. Williamson, for that um, one, you know, wonderful uh, introduction. And good afternoon, everyone. As someone who is a part of the Jepson School of Leadership Studies, the topic of inequality is one that we have studied in many of our courses. I am honored to introduce our guest speaker as he helps us to continue uh, exploring this idea of how, how democracy is failing America's poor. Professor Edelman currently serves as a Carmack Waterhouse Professor of Law and Public Policy at Georgetown University Law Center. He also teaches constitutional and poverty law and is also the faculty director of Georgetown Center on Poverty and Inequality. Throughout his lifelong pursuit in law and policy, he has had the opportunity to serve on three branches of government. He has worked for Senator Robert F. Kennedy and during President Clinton's First term, he was a counselor to Health and Human Service Secretary and the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation. He is a prestigious author of many articles and books, and it is clear from all his work that he is on the forefront of the efforts to change Americans' welfare system. Throughout the past four decades, he has advocated and continues to do so for the empowerment of communities that experience inequalities, but most importantly, inequities. Without further ado, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce Professor Peter B. Edelman. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. Uh, I had a chance to uh, be interviewed earlier, and we had a very, very good time. It's wonderful to see uh, everybody here to be at the Jepson School of uh, Leadership studies uh, and uh, uh, having chosen this year, which would uh, be especially important right now, but really any time uh, in our history, which is, uh, are we satisfied uh, w with uh, our democracy? Uh, and and uh, looking at the people you've chosen, I'm very honored to, to be among uh, the, the terrific line of people that you have. And so I know you'll all be here uh, uh, for all of them, um, and and the choice uh, that's been made by the planners, uh, not that it's a shocking subject, uh, but uh, to put it there is one of six things uh, about which to ask the question about whether whether uh, democracy works uh, is certainly the question that I've been asked to speak to you uh, today, whether whether democracy is, is failing uh, America's poor. Um, that indeed is, is a very, very good question. Um, I, I want to start uh, by saying that uh, we need to understand that what we have done in terms of public policy uh, with regard uh, to poverty uh, in our country um, is uh, in, in, in fact uh, not 
failing us. Uh, there certainly are serious, serious problems. But I say that because uh, all of you know, uh, you just have to uh, read the uh, paper any day or television or whatever it is, and we hear people out there, particularly in the public square, who say uh, uh, with quite vehemence that uh, the public policies that we have don't work. Uh, that, uh, I mean, look at all the poor people. It must be that what we're doing uh, is totally wrong. Uh, and that uh, it's made people more uh, dependent, uh, that uh, if they weren't lazy to begin with, that uh, they've done, become lazy because of these uh, things in this so-called welfare state and all of that. I mean, you've all heard all of those. And, and indeed, uh, there are, uh, now in particular, but it happens from time to time in the history where uh, people of considerable uh, power about these things really would like to get rid of, uh, of the policies that we have. And I would suggest uh, to uh, all of us here uh, that we have, uh, in whatever uh, way we can uh, to express the facts, um, is to understand that the public policy uh, benefits that we have uh, have made a terrific difference. Uh, th there are uh, 41 million people uh, in our country who we measure as poor, uh, parentheses, maybe it's not the, might, uh, the right measure, I think it's probably not, uh, by my definition anyway, it's a, it's a higher number. But in any case, um, if we didn't have Social Security and SNAP food stamps uh, and the earned income tax credit and housing vouchers and a considerably uh, extensive uh, uh, set of, of, of uh, policies that we have, we would have almost 90 million people who are poor in our country. So we're doing something right. And uh, in this, this uh, I, I, I feel like anyway, uh, that uh, we uh, don't stand up enough and say that these things uh, are successful uh, and uh, that what, what they have done is to prevent there being a much, much larger number of people who are poor. Now, that said, I would say, we could all say in unison, well, why are there still 41 million people who are poor? That's, that's, not, that's unacceptable. So what's happened? And uh, let me just walk you through uh, here. Um, it's a subject that could go on for hours. We'll try not to do that. Um, but uh, the reason why those 41 million people are still, still poor uh, is uh, not wholly uh, about uh, democracy's uh, failure. It's, it's more complicated than that. And let me tell you a, a, a few things. I think I count 10 uh, that if we took ourselves back to uh, 1968, 50 years back, um, things that have happened that uh, we actually did not foresee. Uh, and we would get some, um, and you know, I'll just say my 10th thing is the politics aren't so terrific either, but I um, don't want to get ahead of the game here. 
the first thing and the most important thing that's happened, and you all know it, although we don't necessarily think about it in, in, in relation to the question of poverty in our country, and that's that we've become a low-wage nation. And that is the heart of, of all of the uh, problems that we have about low income uh, in our country. And, and we know why uh, uh, the, the deindustrialization of our country, the uh, manufacturing uh, plants uh, go, going away and the effects of technology uh, as well. And uh, the consequences, I'm not sure everybody focuses, I mean you can see it in the anger, I would say, in the anger of our country, of many people in our country in the 2016 elections, where they either don't have jobs because they went away in that part of the country or because they're struggling uh, just, uh, just one uh, paycheck, as we often say, uh, if they lose the, the low-wage job that they have. Um, the fact is, and, and it's important to have this in mind, that half the jobs in the country, and that's if they have them all year, and if they have them not part-time, full-time, uh, 38,000 a year. It's pretty hard to live on that. Um, and in fact, a quarter uh, of the jobs uh, in the country pay $25,000, again, if that's full year and, and um, not part-time. Um, so this is really the heart of the problem. Now, there's a lot of other things that go with it, uh, and um, what we should do, what we should have done uh, about this uh, certainly involves public policy. Uh, just the idea, of the very simple idea, that we ought to have a, a minimum wage of $15 an hour uh, would make a tremendous difference uh, on those, those wage uh, jobs. Um, but it's, it, it is complicated. I mean, it's a change in the structure of the economy, uh, not simply uh, something where the government, where, the, where, where our democracy fell down. Um, and so uh, the, the thought there is, yes, uh, I would say that we had uh, not done what we should have done, uh, that doesn't matter which party you're in, because I'm a Democrat and, and I can tell you, I don't think the Democrats did such a great job about that question that we're still uh, uh, seeing and, and, and having to deal with. And, and what goes with this in the second of my list uh, is what's happened to women because the change is, is in family structure, and that's a long discussion about why we have that, and it's an international problem and all of that. But the fact is that the, the, the group who have the lowest, uh, the highest poverty uh, is not African-American, it's not Latino, both of which are disparate, dis uh, that, that they're higher than, than uh, whites, but over 40%. And even now, as the recession is recessing somewhat, getting a little better here uh, in terms of the poverty and so on, it's still in, in uh, 2017 was still over 40% for moms, single moms who have children. That's what I'm talking about here. Well, um, you begin to see 
you know, okay, uh, hard to figure out how to get higher wage, uh, higher wages for jobs. Did, I did say minimum wage. There are other things we can do to add to that earned income tax credit. We're talking uh, about particularly about single moms and look at uh, uh, and the amount of money that they earn is certainly they're 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 stuck because they only got one wage earner in that in that household. But what about childcare? What what have we done to in, to uh, invest uh, in uh, childcare, which of course is a double win because it not only uh, allows uh, uh, generally a single uh, partner, a single parent. Uh, and typically that, that's a woman, so she is able to get uh, uh, a, a job. It actually, because it's so expensive to get childcare, it's, if there is the proper uh, subsidy, uh, it adds to income of people. Um, and, and the second part of that is we all know that child uh, development starts from zero, and that zero to five are I think probably much more knowledgeable, I know that, you know that, research that shows us that uh, it, it really has enormous effect on children growing up if they haven't uh, had the chance of, of full uh, child development uh, programs. Um, third thing that uh, we, didn't, we didn't foresee uh, and, and that is that um, the very low income people are way worse off. And that, that's, that, that one is not structural, that's a political thing that happened. That's what happened with cash assistance welfare in 1996 with the so-called, what's called now, temporary uh, TANF uh, for, uh, uh, it's the cash assistance. Well, it's basically gone. Uh, and if you look around the country, uh, you'll find that when it was uh, on the old system, which had a lot of problems with it, um, you'll, you'll, you'll find that 68% uh, of uh, children living in uh, low-income families were getting cash assistance prior to 1996. It's now down to uh, under three million people, under 1% of the population of our country. You have over half the, it's, for the whole country, it's 23% it's who have that rather than 68. Um, and uh, well over half the states have, have less than 20% of the low income families that get cash assistance. Result of that, you have, we have seven million people uh, in our country whose only income is from SNAP, uh, food stamps. Seven, per, seven million people. That's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. How do you live on that? That's, that's $6,000 a family for a family of three. And fa the, the, the uh, level for uh, poverty for a family of three uh, is 20,000. And that's, that's what happened here and, and so um, we have now, out of the 41 million people who were poor, 18 people, close to 19 million of those 41 people are actually in deep poverty. 
in that poverty of less than half the poverty line. That's kind of a crime. Uh, and it's, 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 it was a political decision uh, that we made. So, um, and we don't talk about it. Uh, the minutes you say, actually, uh, if you look at the, at, at the uh, uh, public discussion now about all of this, uh, there are people out there who want to use the, the, the word welfare over and over again and say, well, well, what about the welfare of the food stamps? And what about the welfare of the Medicaid? And what about the welfare, welfare, welfare? Because it's a bad word. And I think we haven't done a good job of... Uh, getting people to understand what these issues uh, are about. Uh, our education system is the fourth. Remember, I'm talking about things that we, we didn't foresee because in, in uh, the world of, of 1968, uh, it was just beginning to crack, but you had uh, jobs that didn't require a high school diploma. They're gone. And have we done that with our educational system? to take that into account and have the kind of career and technical uh, assist, uh, education that we need for the, for the jobs of the 21st uh, uh, century? Essentially, no. Uh, in places around the country, yes. Uh, I, for some work that I'm doing, I went down to the Nashville area, and where they were doing it, it was terrific. It was out in the suburbs. It wasn't in the inner city. And so you had advanced uh, uh, manufacturing, and that was wonderful for the young people who got that. They were almost all white. Uh, and so that's, uh, that, that's a, a challenge. Uh, mass incarceration uh, is invented after 50 years ago. Uh, it's something that we did not foresee. It's very connected to race. We know that in terms of who gets locked up um, and, and uh, uh, the, 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 cholera, the collateral consequences that go with that, uh, that have uh, continuing effects on employment and housing and voting and, and all those, those things. Housing is the, the sixth one where we know what's happened to affordable housing and it's just getting worse and worse and worse now. Uh, when uh, it seemed to us after the Great Recession that we just had and uh, real estate uh, prices had gone down. We thought, oh, finally we can get a, a chance to getting low. Oh, that didn't happen. Um, issues about place, concentrated poverty, uh, where uh, we certainly haven't made much progress uh, in, in the effects that that has. And um, in, in, uh, we really need to understand when you have concentrated poverty, uh, high uh, poverty uh, neighborhoods where you really need to have everything that's relevant happen at, at, to build community, to, to support family, to have jobs and education, all the things it needs. We have, yet, we have learned, not, but not as a national nation, but people say over and over again, well, that's those people of color who live out there, whether it's African-American, Latino, they're, they're the ones in the, the central states. There must be something wrong with them. And then you look and you know Robert Putnam's book uh, about bowling alone, and he's, he's uh, written a wonderful book that some of you may have seen more recently, where he talks about his own uh, town in northern Iowa uh, uh, on 
uh, Lake Erie. Um, and it was so successful back in the late 50s and into the 60s and those people who, men who worked in those plants uh, hadn't gone to high school and all their kids went to college and they all did better than, than their uh, family did and then the, the jobs went away. Well, what do you think happened? Same thing happened in those, uh, which was a, the other thing was about racism and segre segregation, but you look at it in, in that city in, in uh, uh, northern Iowa and you see the same thing. You see kids dropping out of school, drugs, uh, babies born too young, and they're all white. It's not a race question, folks. And to get that into our public discussion, it's so, so, so important. Well, race continues, that's my eighth point. Uh, racial issues, we thought, uh, of course we've made progress. We've made progress. We should be very proud of that. And, and uh, at the same time, we have a long way to go. We still have those, those uh, challenges. Um, well, having it take this, at least for me, maybe I'm naive or something, but 50 years later and, and still facing these challenges, uh, I didn't foresee that. Uh, inequality, worse over that 50 years. And then uh, the, the, poli the, the politics is my 10th thing. But re even remember on the politics uh, that uh, when President Obama was the president, uh, we got the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we got the new Medicaid. These are very, very big achievements. So to say that our, that our, our poli beyond the things that I said at the beginning of my remarks, to say that the, the politics are failing us on the question of, of uh, poverty. Uh, and then you look at uh, the uh, American, uh, the, the ACA and, and the, the new, uh, the new uh, Medicaid, uh, these are tremendous, as I said, tremendous uh, achievements. So um, nonetheless, we shouldn't be satisfied. We can't be satisfied. We need to figure out how to how to do better. We need to have leadership uh, that does that. Uh, it, it certainly, there is leadership uh, here in your city. There is in places around the country. Um, and and uh, we did just go through that period uh, uh, nationally where we did some, some good, good things. But we need to have a vision, uh, a, long, uh, a long view uh, in public discussion in the public square. We, we really need to put out there uh, in, in a much more uh, uh, repeated uh, sense of what we should do, even if it's going to take us a period of time to build, build for that. We need to invest uh, while, uh, wisely. And, and, but I would say to you that, that the kind of thing, and again, I think some things are going on in Richmond that, that fit my thinking about this, it isn't just government. Uh, it's certainly not just the national government. It, it needs the states, it needs the localities, but it needs everybody. It needs uh, a civic involvement, a, a personal responsibility that, that we all have. Um, and and uh, so that's where my kind of overall sense uh, to share with you for what it's worth. The, the rest of my uh, remarks 
Um, I want to talk about um, my book um, with, that's, that I've, that's out there. Um, and that's kind of the 11th thing, if you will, if those first 10 things were the right number. It, this is the, the, uh, the, you know, the Republicans used to talk about the 11th Amendment that we, anyway, this is the 11th thing. Um, the thing that happened that became visible to us, I think, uh, was what happened in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, and we, saw, we were shocked at the, at the killing of, of Michael Brown. Of course, that happens in too many communities around the country. But then, the, particularly because of the Just, Department of Justice leadership at that, that time, they came into uh, Ferguson and they found that the people of Ferguson, um, it's, it's bizarre really, but it's true and it's terrible, they didn't have the revenue from taxes. Now, it turns out that's a national problem. Uh, we, we have had a uh, anti-tax rebellion that's been going on uh, from Ronald Reagan, uh, and, and it's gotten worse. Um, but, so what they were doing there in Ferguson is they were arresting their, their own of course, if they could get somebody who came in from outside, then that, well, that was a new source of revenue. But uh, their own people, um, they would arrest them for all kinds of junky little things and, and then have enormous, enormous fines and fees. Uh, and uh, if they couldn't uh, pay, they would put, be put in jail, which happens to be unconstitutional. Uh, but they did it in the well as well. Well, it turns out that was uh, widespread. I mean, t there's a man I want to tell you about named uh, Adel Edwards from uh, Pelham, Georgia. Uh, and uh, he's just one of millions of people. Because we now know that what we learned in Ferguson was going on all over the country. And it was doing because of what I already said, of the lack of taxes, tax uh, revenues. And they turned to squeezing their own uh, people. So uh, Mr. Edwards was a, a person who had a significant uh, intellectual disability and he, he can't read and write. And they arrested him, fined him for $500 for uh, burning leaves without a permit. Uh, and then another, as if that wasn't enough, $528 for so-called uh, probation. Uh, in a lump that for, uh, was going to be uh, for $40, $50 a month, but, but they wanted to collect it right there. And it's a four clever, four pro profound, profound, not profound, profit um, company, for-profit company. Thirteen states have that. Now, interesting point, uh, there are actually 44 states that uh, charge money to, to, to be on probation. 31 of those are public agencies around the country. It's just shocking. Um, so this is really the criminalization of, of poverty. Uh, it's really a systematic way for the states and communities to raise millions of, of dollars, uh, including from the poor, um, 
and we have the 21st century debtor's prisons uh, and then some. So if, if, if you go into uh, municipal courtrooms in many, many cities in this uh, country, I, I see it, saw it myself in New Orleans and St. Louis and um, Cleveland, where I happen to be. Um, and uh, you have men and occasionally women, and they're all, depending on the part of the country, but they're nearly all African American men in orange jumpsuits. So what's that about? How does it work? Well, um, variations on it. One is they're convicted on something and they can't pay, so they get put in jail because uh, they can't pay the, the fine. As I said, that's unconstitutional. Uh, and remember, these are all fines and fees that are jacked up. Uh, or a payment plan. Uh, so they uh, let them out uh, and they, they don't be put in jail uh, right away, but then they can't pay on the, on the payment plan. And then when they can't pay, da 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 da, uh, it just, it just uh, goes up. Uh, oh, it goes up and up and up. And, and you have, as I said, about, about the way in which the probation is, is operated, but um, there's, they, they charge for everything. Uh, if you're not only on probation, but if you're uh, on diversion and therefore not supposed to have to go to jail, but you can't pay for the diversion, into the jail. Uh, electric uh, angle bracelets, uh, because you're out, but you can't pay for it on, uh, behind the bars. Um, and so um, the, these kinds of things, uh, Oklahoma has 28 different things that are fees. Uh, Florida has uh, 20. Um, it, it, just, it just goes on and on, and people can't pay on the payment uh, plan, and it uh, mounts, the interest mounts up, and uh, their uh, criminal content they're, uh, they're guilty for, for not paying, they're slapped with new uh, debt, it just, it just goes on and on. So this is what we've done in our country. The, the one that, <laughs> maybe there's some parts of the country where I wouldn't be shocked because you know, they are who they are. But um, in uh, San Francisco, uh, they found out that uh, they were charging in the, in the city um, for so-called probation, $50 a month for three months, which was $1,800 in San Francisco, bluest of the blue. And somebody found out about it, and so they, they stopped it. But it was, it was just everything, and, and it really still is. And then there's another uh, version, uh, which is bigger, which is money bail. And so uh, if you, you uh, can't pay for bail, which happens all over the place, I mean, these are dinky little things that they're in for, um, then the only way you're gonna get out, uh, and you know, think about what happens if you're being held there uh, what happens to your family, what happens to your job, uh, all different aspects of, of, of daily life. Um, so it turns out that uh, if you look at this nationally, 
this, this is a huge thing because in, I'm talking about jail, not prison. 750,000, 700,000 on any given day uh, in this country who are uh, in, in the jail, 450,000 of them when you add them all up, aren't, they haven't been found guilty of anything. It's just that they can't pay the, the, uh, uh, the amount that's demanded on some, I'm telling you, dicky, dinky uh, little thing. So this is, this is a huge thing, to, it's separate from, from even the question of raising the money. But, but um, the, the, the fact is, if you had to uh, give everybody a trial who was out on bail, they don't have enough judges to do it. So it's all in their uh, interest to get those people to, to uh, uh, plead guilty and get out. And then have all of the, the results that go with it in terms of the fines and everything that, that I talked about. Now the biggest thing, it's nationally, is not, um, is, is not the story uh, of uh, our friend uh, in Georgia, um, in, in the, uh, Adel Edwards. Uh, it's about taking money from driver's license suspensions. That's the big thing. And wow, does that work well. Because uh, people have to, have to drive to, to uh, uh, work or get the children for school, uh, and they drive anyway, right? They have to get to work. Um, they have to take the kids to school, whatever it is. Um, and so uh, the result of that is that uh, when somebody had been done something or other that caused them, and, and these aren't driver's licenses about you drove badly. It's not what it's about. It's that you owed some money from something else in the government and you don't pay so they take away the, the driver's license to squeeze you, to squeeze you. That, that's, that's what it is and, and so you get um, California, four million people, four million people have lost their driver's licenses, uh, one out of six people. Um, and uh, one on 1.8 in Texas and, and uh, 1.2 in, uh, well, you see where I'm going. Uh, where are we today? Virginia, very big, very big. Almost a million people have lost their driver's licenses here, suspended. Uh, because of something, largely because of money that they owed for something else, nothing to do with safety, not even nothing, anything to do with, with the car. Um, this, this, this is a challenge. This is a challenge to everybody in the Commonwealth uh, to do something about it. And, and um, there are uh, people who are working on this, that, that, that's for sure. But, um, and, and there's a, but, but uh, th they just uh, gotta do something about that. It's, it's just too, too huge.
Um, so that's a national problem, the driver's license suspensions, uh, but it's a, here in the, in the Commonwealth of, Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, juvenile, another one. The, the, um, I was the director, I was the commissioner of youth uh, in, in uh, New York State in the 1970s. The idea that you were gonna charge fees for everything that happened to the kid there. And well, okay, the parents supposed to pay something, where'd they get the money from? And it ends up stuck on the kid and the kid carries that on and, and, and that carries on into the adulthood and that ruins things in multiple ways. So anyway, all of these things, um, all of these things uh, we, we have to uh, understand uh, and understand that it's, that it's really big, um, it's really modern peonage. Um, two out of every three current and former inmates owe uh, unpaid fines and fees. Uh, you have uh, all together beyond the, the uh, uh, the, the driver's license. Um, 10 million people nationally owe $50 billion in court debt from fines and fees. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. So we need to make it a national concern and it has to be a national concern in every state of the Union because it is in every state of the Union. And you in particular here uh, in Virginia um, take a look at what's going on uh, about what I told you about the driver's license. Um, there's a whole lot more. I want to stop and let you ask some questions, but I want to just say a little bit more. Um, this isn't only the criminalization of, of, of poverty uh, isn't just about that uh, effort. It's a very huge thing about the money and squeezing people. But kids who, uh, in the past, they did something on the playground and they uh, got sent to the principal's office. Well, you know, um, all, all over the country, um, we're sending kids to jail for something that happened at school. and, and uh, of course, that has the effects uh, that continue because, because they have all that stuff that I just talked about uh, in terms of having fines that the family can't pay, you know, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Um, so this uh, happened. Um, it was a bad result of a, something that we had to do because we wanted to protect our children in the schools. Uh, and uh, the first thing that got this, sending the kids to court instead of the, to the principal, was um, the creation, federal money, uh, after Columbine, uh, spent $750 million to add 6,500 school resource officers in 3,000 schools in the country and uh, in 2011-12, there were 260,000 students who were arrested in school around the country and referred to law enforcement. 
not handled in the, in the principal's uh, office. And in Texas and Wyoming, they send kid to, kids to adult court for something they did at school, Texas and Wyoming. And then when you look at uh, domestic violence uh, uh, that uh, happens terribly in our, in our uh, homes and uh, women call 911 uh, and uh, in too many parts of the country what happens is that um, the uh, police say uh, if you call us more than typical three times uh, you um, are, are, are we, we're, we're not going to help you anymore. And in fact, what we're going to do is we're going to force your landlord to evict the people. Yes. And I'll tell you a story about Maplewood, Missouri, um, quite recently. The woman was not, the woman tenant was not only uh, evicted, she was thrown out of the town for six months for calling the police because of domestic violence. I kid you not. So this isn't about money. This is about attitudes. This is the criminalization of poverty. That's what it is. And when we go through all of it, we see fraud charges about public benefit applicants uh, and recipients are used to uh, plan to cause in many places people to be deterred from, from applying for help. Uh, the rules that we have, including uh, here in the Commonwealth, of uh, going after uh, the, with vagrancy laws against the homeless, uh, and you know, you can't uh, lie down on the Park bench, you can't stand up, you can't lie on, you know, just get, get out of town. Um, we have uh, public housing rules that bar ex-offenders. Ex we have our, our whole mental system, mental health system, is largely disproportionately in our criminal justice system, not in the mental health system. So, and, 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 and the intersection of race and poverty is the really, it's both race, all of this is, it's, I mean, yes, white people, but it's really as much about race as it is about poverty. Um, I mean, the, the intersection of race and poverty is really the most dangerous place uh, in town. Well, I gotta stop. Uh, <laughs> I could go on, but let me say this, we're doing something about it. Uh, and there are uh, people who are writing about it, there, there are uh, lawyers who are representing people uh, uh, individually, uh, legislators are acting, um, and whether it's bail reform or whether it's the driver's licenses uh, or, or the people who got uh, uh, thrown in jail for these things that, like uh, Abel Edwards uh, had. And one thing that's particularly good to know that some of the responses are in places that, are that can be bipartisan. So, and, and from parts of the country that aren't so uh, uh, what we would call progressive. Um, Mississippi, um, 
there was there was a case down there, and and uh, they uh, uh, got a whole lot of people out of jail uh, who were in on these these little things, uh, and uh, a number of other other places. Um, so got to feel a little better uh, about that. E even so, um, we've got such a long way to go, and we've got that we've got. Uh, lawyers and judges and journalists and others and you, you see cover I'm sure coverage as, as well here uh, but we need to get people to understand this I think we understand about mass incarceration and I think we're, we're, we're pushing back in a more organized way long way to go haven't got that here yet that that's really the challenge uh, and of course we, we also have to be doing the kinds of things uh, that build community, uh, especially in low-income neighborhoods, uh, where uh, children have more of a chance, people have more of a chance at a job, all of those things. Uh, and that will have an effect on, on what I'm talking about here. So the, 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 the challenge uh, I always uh, think uh, is, um, us. Uh, we, we really have to understand all of this and to act. Um, I just close by saying uh, the rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, uh, the great uh, rabbi, dear friend of Dr. King, he said, we're not all guilty, but we are all responsible. So thank you very, very much. Questions? Anybody? Over here? Yeah, I'll, okay. Thank you. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to, to be here today. But I want to put a face to what he said. One, in terms of being incarcerated behind my driver's license. Nothing was wrong with my driver's license, but I didn't pay child support, and he suspended it. The other one, I had a speeding ticket. I didn't pay the fine. I was put in jail when they caught me. And then they turned around and had me to do uh, work, study from jail at a police station and clean it up. That. But what I really want to know is this. Looking at this audience, how does it get to the people who need it the most? Mm -hmm. To get to the meeting. How does it get to the people who need it the most? To make the decisions. most help to make the decision, to make the change, to make it work. Even at $15 an hour, where can I afford to live here in Richmond? So it's, what is it, how, how do we make a change? How do we make a difference? If I make it any sense. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, you know, the, in one word, it's organizing. Uh, and and uh, it is uh, a lot more uh, people pushing on what these issues are. I mean, they, you know, they they break down, and in, in, uh, it, it's not just the overall thing; it's also the specific uh, thing of why is there this uh, 
this uh, policy uh, here in Virginia uh, where they do what they did and what you told us about. Uh, that doesn't have to be. If, if people do a, a politics and demand and, 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 and simply change those, those policies. So. Some people don't know what they don't know. That is true. All right. So therefore, people need to know what, what there is to know, and, and we've got to get that to and them. I'm, and I'm saying, if, if the people were able to hear what you said, who live in a community that needs to be changed, how do we do that? Well, again, it's, it's got to be, people have to know about it, and there has to be organizing. You know, that's, I can say that in one minute. It's an enormous effort. Well, how can organizing be successful? I feel like I do a lot of advocacy, mm -hmm. and it's practically a full-time job, and you're going up against lobbyists with way more money than I've got or anybody else that I know. Yeah. And it just seems to come down to all about the money. And whichever interest group can influence the legislators with their campaign contributions, mm -hmm. those are the initiatives that get passed. How do you change that? Well. <laughs> There's an election coming. <laughs> and yes, there are people who have a lot of money and power. But we have a lot of people. And the question is, how do we mobilize those people? Now, if I thought it was not possible, and I bet you you agree with me, because you said it's hard, and it is hard, but it's not impossible. And uh, we have got particularly and we will see what, what's happen, going to happen here uh, over the, shortly, um, whether we're, we're going to stand up as a country and people and go out there and vote and say, uh, this is not acceptable. And we're going to elect people uh, state by state and especially now Congress uh, district by Congress district. And that can make a difference. Not the only thing, but right now we have an enormous, and, and there are people, you know, the one thing that we got out of this mess that we're in right now is that there are a lot of people woke up about the fact that they weren't doing what they should be doing to save this democracy. Oh, okay could speak a little on like the disenfranchisement of like the youth in America who end up in prisons among the ages of like 18 to 26. They lose out on their high school education, they lose out on their college educations, but especially like in Virginia there are no programs that allow inmates to get college degrees um, and even getting a GED is extremely hard because they can't like maintain teachers in the prisons. So what can we do to help move that like those policies forward? Well, roughly, uh, I, the way I look at it, there, there, there are two levels, uh, and it relates to really every piece of the conversation. Um, there are those of us who work and who must work on the particular issues, because we can make uh, a degree of, whether it's about reform in the prisons or the criminal justice, system and, and, and so on. People who specifically work on that, that that's it's, it's vital. 
uh, it doesn't get you all the way because you also have the thing that we just talked about, which is that there has to be a change in the overall who, who owns the power about all of these issues. Uh, and so, I mean, that, that without writing a PhD thing about it, I'm a lawyer, so I never did that. Uh, and, uh, but it's, those are the two levels of what we have to do. And, and we really do, I mean, I won't repeat myself, but, but everybody, in, everybody in the room, and you know this, that, that uh, we have to have success at the ballot box. But it's also true that those of us who care and are involved with these issues, issue by issue, and I would say to you, I mean, we're not doing terrifically well uh, about massive incarceration, for sure, but people are aware there's some changes that, that happen and, and, and so on. The stuff I'm telling you, I don't think people even know that, uh, e even though we have individual people like our friend right there, uh, it doesn't coalesce uh, in, into a, a total kind of a movement out of it. I think it has the possibility of that because it's a national problem uh, and it has these really enormous effects that people don't even know in the, the, the destruction of people's lives. So those, that's my answer. It's a, it's, a, it's a sort of a two-level answer. And it's a great question. Um, well, sir, you said earlier that um, welfare has become kind of a dirty word in politics. And I was wondering what are your suggestions on sort of changing the terms of debate as somebody who has worked in politics? Because I feel as though welfare is a dirty word, but it's almost as if Democrats and Republicans have two different definitions for the word welfare. So what, do you have any particular terms, I guess, that you think both sides can agree on that will help to sort of bridge the gap and help us to work towards bipartisan solutions? Well, I think a couple things. Um, one is um, that we uh, raise the uh, income of the people that we want to be talking about. Uh, without taking away from people uh, whose incomes are at the bottom. But, y y you know, there's an enormous problem, I, I talked about it in the earlier part of my talk, that um, there are uh, a little under 100 people, 100 million people, when you talk uh, about uh, people between uh, zero and 200%, twice the poverty line. That's, that's you've got to have some power there. And it's not being, I think if anything, there are lots of people in that 100 to 200 who wouldn't, they say they wouldn't touch money to get any help. They don't see themselves, they have a really, I just think that nobody's putting the sort of positive side of the things that we need to do and get up to twice the poverty line. That, that's number one. Uh, and the other is, uh, really goes with that, which is to tie together all of these issues. Because um, if you have a conversation about some specific thing about uh, the earned income tax credit, uh, so it needs to be, that needs to be tied all together. I mean, we have minimum wage, we can have some success there, well, it hadn't for a while. Um, we can do pretty well on childcare. Uh, again, I think there's, there's fairly broad. 
But to add that up and, 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 and say, uh, really what's happening here is a third of the people are taking a total screw. Uh, and, and they just, I mean, that's one of the reasons why s some of those people gave us this man who's the president of the United States right now, uh, is because there was that anger and they didn't think anybody was responding to him. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be wider than welfare. As important as having cash assistance to people, it's gotta be a bigger picture. That's my answer. Well, I guess sort of to summarize what you're saying. Well, it was so good. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. It Oh, thank you. I, I, was, I was fishing. Well, yeah. Just to sort of summarize, you're saying that we need to sort of make it a bigger issue by forcing people to look at it from a wider lens and yes. how people are affected and yes. the ways in which they're affected. Yes. And do you think there's any chance that any Congress or any president will allow the poverty, definition of poverty to rise when it's going to make it look like? No, I don't think I would. I would rise, the, I would increase the poverty line somewhat. And we have with the so-called supplemental thing that there is. Uh, but you know, if you ask somebody whose income is, uh, l let's say, 40,000 for a family of three, and you tell them that, that they're, that's under the poverty line, they're gonna look funny at you, weird funny. Um, so it isn't that that you wanna do. You, you just wanna say, look, these people are being screwed uh, in our country and you know, and, let, let's just be very clear about what's going on here. Now, I don't, this is not simple stuff, but I think there's a possibility of, of building a better pop, uh, uh, politics uh, if it basically goes, I mean, we'll let the rich people in, that's okay. Um, but the idea of, of the people who are really the ones who are hit, and it's the reason why you said, why don't you raise the poverty line? Um, is to build a, a, a really build a, a politics around people around up to about the level of twice the poverty line. I wouldn't say it that way, but because those people go in and out of the poverty line, they're not, they're not people who are some different group of people, you know, some, some bunch of people from some uh, other planet. Uh, and so, uh, to say that, that, that the thing that you're gonna talk about is, is it's artificially drawn, and you're right, it should be somewhat higher, whatever the line, but, but it's really about uh, everybody in this country who, who struggles to make it, and to, to put that all together into a politics. You know, I, I, I haven't written the second chapter yet, in fact, probably not even the first, but that's my idea. Thank you, sir. Sure. Uh, two more, okay. So I want to thank you for coming here today. Um, and I really appreciated the lens of your talk on how it's, democracy is a failing our poor. Somewhat, somewhat, in some cases, unwell, but also what's more clear is that the justice system is really failing our poor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the problem that a lot of people have in conceptualizing how this is the case is not ever having spoken or interacted with someone who has suffered at the hands mm -hmm. of the justice system. And so when you tell people, like, oh, this, like, this, this mistreatment is horrible, they're like, well, they did the crime, they should be able to do the punishment. And that's obviously a very crass way of thinking about it. Um, and I think we're a sympathetic room who would more likely agree with you mm -hmm. on, on your take on it. But for those of the people who do have that view of it, 
Um, how do you, and they have never spoken with someone, they have no basis on which to build a more compassionate or empathetic view of it. How do you, as someone also outside of that, speak to them in such a way to kind of open up their mind to the fact that this isn't just justice, this is a matter of poverty and yeah. war on poverty? Yeah. Well, I think basically th that the way we should sort of think of kind of everything that we do is from the bottom. And uh, we, in our own communities, we do uh, a lot. Uh, but uh, to conceptualize the idea of, of people who, at that level, uh, not everybody's going to do it, but to, to, to try to have a combination of national leadership, the kind of leadership that would, that would encourage that. But really, if we want that kind of, of, of communication and community among people, uh, and you know what we've done to ourselves, uh, making it harder, everybody here uh, who's got uh, gray and beautiful white hair, uh, <laughs> The, 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 the city, the county, it's all segregated. Uh, and it makes it very, very difficult uh, to have that conversation. So it, that makes it that much harder. But I do think that, uh, I, I certainly hope for, for national uh, leadership that would er encourage that. Um, but our best hope is really to build it at the local level, in my view. Thank you. Sure. Uh, yes, sir. Um, I'm just wondering uh, to what extent our problems are systemic. Um, let me just briefly make first. You know, at the end of the Cold War, uh, many people, especially pundits, were talking about the Washington Consensus. Uh, we just assumed that now that the Soviet Union and communism were gone, that uh, both democracy and capitalism. Uh, was the way to go. Some people were talking about the end of history, that we finally realized that the Enlightenment was finally here. We don't have to do anything more. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, uh, just, just a couple of brief anecdotes, bef uh, uh, comments bef before you re respond, sir. One, I remember when I was um, uh, having some landscaping done, uh, the gardener said, we have, to, we have to get rid of this tree. And I said, well, wait a second, this tree for so long was so beautiful and it was so good. And he looked at me and this, his response still sticks to me. He said, sir, nothing is forever. Um, and the other uh, uh, comment was, uh, you know, maybe we're not looking, maybe we should be looking not, again, at the system rather and not just changing the people in the same system as they all got caught up uh, in it. The other um, it has to do with maybe the cities and the schools that you re people are responding to today or commenting on today. One friend of mine once said, uh, take a look at th this particular city's schools. We've had superintendent after superintendent, school board after school board. And he asked me, has anything changed? And I said, no. They said, what does that tell you? So I'm wondering whether we should look you know, more at, you know, even though Winston Churchill once said, you know, democracy is a terrible system, but it's the best we got. But maybe it isn't the best we have. Uh, and is capitalism the best we have? Well, maybe it isn't, but what is? Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy that. You know, I, here's, here's the way that I, I really agree with you. I mean, it's not only one way. How much I do agree with you is what I'm saying. 
which, which is, I think, and it's easy to say, just like it's kind of easy for you to say, we both are easy to say, but it's so important. And, and that is, uh, I, I, I don't think that we project uh, in our leadership and in, in our politics, uh, whether it's uh, at the national level or the state or whatever, to say, look, this is wh where we want to get to. Um, now, you know, some of that, what you said, you're, you're going to lose the election. Some of what you'd want to say. Me too, anyway, or I'll speak for myself and not you. Um, but I, I do think that, that if, if we tried, if people, leaders tried to say, this is the vision, uh, this, is, this is what we, we, we need to say that will change things, and then be practical at the same time about the things that we're doing one, two, three on the way there. Now, there's a lot of problems with that, uh, like you might not ever get elected. Uh, another is that maybe what you're saying is if you go from here, one, one, two, three, four, five, it doesn't get to the end that you want to because it has to be a different end. And I don't have the answer to that. It's a genuine dilemma. Uh, but there should be, what I can say is that, that people who, uh, intellectuals, people who write uh, one way or another, uh, where they're not going to lose the vote because they said these things, uh, and really say uh, to start a discussion about the things that we should be in, uh, organized and in, in what we do, uh, in a different way and, and, and see if that, those people could cause um, a different public view and, and a discussion about that. That's, that's my best try. Thank you so much.